All right, good morning. It is Palm Sunday. Uh, great Sunday. I love Palm Sunday. I love this whole entire week. Uh, it is a wonderful week for us to uh, rejoice. It's a wonderful week for us to just be excited about the fact that we have an awesome, awesome God who loves us and has done amazing things for us. Um, I hope everybody is doing well in quarantine. Uh, I'm Luke Gradeless, if you haven't watched before. Um, and I'm just glad you're here. Well, that's a slight lie. I'm glad you're watching something that's helping you rejoice and grow in the Lord. Um, I really wish we were all at church, uh, especially for a week like this. It's hard not being in the congregation, hard not being around our brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, but you know what? The church isn't the building. The church is the people. And so we're going to keep doing what we are called to do, which is to rejoice in the Lord, glorify God, and build the kingdom. Um, you know, this is funny because it's the most dressed up I've been all week. I've uh, been wearing Superman shirts all week. But uh, for you guys, i got a jacket, collar shirt. I'm, I'm even wearing jeans. Look at that. Wow. Um, I hope you are doing well. And I think this is a good reminder for us that no matter what comes, no matter what the circumstances of the world are, that our mission doesn't change. Uh, no matter what the circumstances are, we are still called to glorify God. And we glorify God by loving Him and loving people. And we've got to find ways to do that in any situation that we are. You know, I'm, I'm reminded as we go through you know, quarantine or shelter in place, whatever you want to call it, that a lot of the good stuff in the New Testament was written by a man in prison. And so um, the reality is nothing can stop the kingdom from growing and moving forward. And hopefully that this is a time where so many distractions are gone that people are actually getting further and further into the war word. And it's a time where people realize this is why you need a savior. Uh, mankind does not have everything in control. Mankind does not have the ability to manage everything. Uh, we need help. We need guidance. We need love. Uh, we need the Lord. Um, it's funny. So I have three children. I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And the two-year-old is getting to the place where um, she talks so much more now, so much more. And... You know, I'd say probably about three, four months ago when she would talk, you kind of knew what she was saying. You, you thought you did, but you didn't know for sure if you knew what she was saying. Um, and now she's at the stage where you know exactly, you know exactly what she's saying. And most of the time, that is really, really good. Most of the time, that is awesome. Um, but every now and then, they say things that you're like, I, I kind of wish I didn't know what you were saying. Uh, it was funny because she's, uh, she's potty training right now, so... The other day, she came in and said she needed to go potty. And so I said, okay, let's go. And she was all excited. And then her mom said, well, I, I can take her. And immediately, immediately, little girl flips on me. She goes, okay, mama. And she comes over to me and she puts her hand on my shoulder and she goes, it's okay, dad, you stay, you stay. And I'm like, ouch, that hurt, that hurt. Um, I miss... I miss sometimes when I didn't know exactly what you were saying and I could have told myself that you were saying something nicer or sweeter. But I share that with you because today's one of those stories where when you read it, there's a part of you that just loves it. There's a part of you that rejoices. There's a part of you that uh, is so excited to see Jesus treated uh, for once on earth the way he should have been treated every single day of the time he was here. And at the same time, there's a little bit of bittersweetness because you know these same people cheering for him won't be doing that at the end of the week. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles. These should be your good friends right now. They should be getting worn out uh, right now. 
And so if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 12. We're going to be in John chapter 12. Um, I'm going to summarize a little bit of this because I think it's important for you to get the setup to what we see happening in on this Palm Sunday. And if we're, if we're technically correct, I think it's probably more actually Monday um, during Jesus' time, but Palm Sunday. So in John chapter 12, uh, and actually there's a little context you need to get before that. If you, if you study today, go look at John chapter 11. And what you see in John chapter 11 is you see Jesus' greatest miracle. right? All the rest of the miracles that Jesus had done, you could, if you were a skeptic, you could watch them and you could try to explain them away. You could try to say they were coincidence. Um, you could try to say they uh, were luck. You could try to say that it was medical. Uh, you, you could try to say it was something like that. Um, and this goes only for the public ones. Of course, there's no explanation for him walking on water. There's no explanation for water into wine. Uh, but the rest of them, the Pharisees kept trying to, to paint this picture of luck, you know, medicine, dark art, something, something. The pinnacle of Jesus's miracles happens in John chapter 11. Where, and we talked a little bit about this last week because it's the same story when Jesus wept. And so it comes when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it creates this, this fever pitch to execute him. Because what the Pharisees realize, what his enemies realize is it's one thing to explain a teacher, a prophet, going into a sick person's house, praying for them, and they become better. It's another thing for a man to walk to a grave where a man has been dead for days and tell the man to get up and come out. And the man rises from the dead and walks on out. That, that miracle, that ability, that public display, there was nothing they could say against it. And they knew that if Jesus' power was displayed in such a way, his following was going to grow huge and they were going to lose control, or at least the control they thought they had, of the people and of the relationship with Rome. And so you see this fever pitch build up where they have to find a way to get rid of Jesus now. And what I love about all this is as you follow through the story from chapter 11 through 12, you see Jesus and you see his Father God orchestrating the events and the timing so that we will perfectly arrive on Good Friday where we will see on that Passover day where thousands of lambs are being slaughtered as, as an act of the Jewish people asking for repentance and asking for forgiveness. And on that same day, we will see the ultimate Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and we will see him crucified on that day. And all those things are, are timing that God is doing and that God is in control. And I'm always encouraged by that. I'm always intrigued by that because it's one of those things that just reminds you how above he is compared to where we are. And, and I actually love those reminders more and more each day, especially when we're in situations like we're in today. When you're sitting in your house and you can't go anywhere, when there's this invisible uh, disease, this virus that is just changing the face of the earth and wiping people out. Um, if all there was was man, if all there was was us, 
what an amazing amount of despair and sadness and fear we would have. But us knowing in these events, us knowing that above all these things, there is a God who has a plan, who has the power, who has no fear, and who will and can wipe this away. Having that kind of confidence in Him is a thing that allows that fear be pushed out and allows us to have instead a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I think that's always so important for us. So as you walk through John 11, you have this amazing miracle that builds up to a fever pitch. In John chapter 12, you see some more uh, interactions between Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then we get to verse 12, and we see them entering. And so what you kind of have happening is, is imagine on this journey into Jerusalem, you have Jesus and Bethany, and you have all of these followers in Bethany who have watched what's happened, this miracle with Lazarus, and, and are following and coming with him. And then you have the people from Jerusalem coming to meet him. And we are probably watching hundreds of thousands of people uh, being involved in, in what's happened. This is, this is probably one of the largest, most significant gatherings of Jesus' earthly ministry, which is why you're going to see what happens the rest of this week. So let's just jump in. John chapter 12, verse 12. It says, On the next day the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. And they began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, for as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. So to the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to testify about him. And for this reason, also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for, to eternal life. And so, brothers and sisters, what we see happening here is we see this beautiful, this beautiful moment where all the people in this city, in this town, in high volume, are truly worshiping Jesus. And for once they are worshiping him, not just simply as a teacher or as a miracle worker, but they are worshiping him as the Messiah. The problem is, is they have a very different view of the Messiah. And so let's break down a few things that we see happening here. First off, this, this all comes back to stuff that had been talked about in the Old Testament. So in Zechariah 9.9 it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And so this is referenced in John. And so what's happening here is Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. 
And a lot of people don't like to get into Old Testament prophecy, but it is so important to understand Old Testament prophecy, especially as you're looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And the reason that's so important is because Jesus doesn't fulfill one or two. Jesus fulfills hundreds, hundreds of prophecies that no man could coordinate by himself. Now, there are definitely ones like this that we see Jesus coordinating, right? We see Jesus going, there's a donkey waiting for me. Go get it. I need it. We see him intentionally and purposefully riding into town on this donkey. But there are hundreds of them that he could have never orchestrated. And again, this comes back to this idea, this this important thing for you and I to have faith in, which is God's ways are above our ways. Man's ways are so low and God's ways are so high. And yes, sometimes because of that, when we look at the world around us and we see everything that's happening, it's confusing and it's hard and it's difficult. It reminds me of of sometimes when I'm talking to the little kids about things in life and it doesn't make sense to them. Uh, I remember one day, Ty, when he was probably three, four, uh, somewhere around there, asking me, Dad, why do you go to work? And I said, well, you know, I've got to make money. And he was like, yeah, but wouldn't you rather just be home with us? Why wouldn't you rather just stay home with us? And I'm like, I, I would rather stay home with you. But why, why do you leave then to the job? And I'm like, well, because I need to get money so that I can pay for the house and for food. And, and you could just see the little guy didn't get it. He didn't understand what I was explaining about this concept of money and food and provision and how that ties into the bigger picture. And I always remember that because as much as he wanted to understand and as much as I wanted to explain it to him, there was a gap between us that made it hard for all of it to be there. And ultimately what he had to lean on as a child was, I know my dad loves me and I know my dad's trying to do right. And I think for many times in our own lives, that's exactly the same thing we have to do when it comes to Christ is that we look around and we see all this chaos, we see all this pain, we see all this death, we see all this hurt, and what we want to say is, I I don't get it. I don't get it. I want answers. I want to be able to understand all of this. And the reality is sometimes we can't. Sometimes the things that are happening in this world are bigger than us. And so in those moments when we know we won't get the answer, What we have to look back to is the character of God and go, I don't understand everything, but I understand who you are, God. I know that you are loving. I know that you are good. And I know that you are powerful. And I know that there is nothing that happens that has, that doesn't have a reason or a purpose in it. And so God, if you're allowing this to happen, if God, if this is, if this is occurring, then there must be something good that you're going to bring out of this. Because he is the one that can control things in a way we never could. He is the one that can dictate that at the perfect time, at the perfect day, his son would ride into the right town at the right place, that the crowds would all be there, that there would be a donkey awaiting him, that this would be an action that would push the Pharisees to the breaking limit so that all these things could play out throughout the week and that he would be crucified on that day that was destined for him to be crucified, a Passover day where he was the ultimate sacrifice. The other thing I want you to see here is some of the significance of what you hear, see here. So why palm branches? Why are these people laying the palm branches down as Jesus writes in? Well, this whole ceremony, this whole ceremony is set up like how you would treat a king. And so the palm branch was a very significant thing to these people because palm trees, of course, grew around this area. 
uh, they also grew in the desert. And so the palm tree was always the sign of strength and beauty because among a vast, you know, the vast heat and the vast, um, you know, sands and, and wilderness of the desert, which could be so dry and hot and in many ways signified death, you would always have these green palm trees. And that green represented unbelievable beauty because here was life in what seemed to be a midst of death. And here was also this strength because while everything else around it was suffering and barely alive, here's this beautiful green tree that is alive, that's thriving. And so palm trees had a, a great significance to the people, both representing strength and representing beauty. And so you see this, this event occurring where they're all laying these down and they're treating Jesus as a conquering general. And so you see this happening all throughout history. Um, I think the last time you would have seen this would have probably been a couple hundred years ago for the, the Jewish people when uh, the Maccabean general came into the town. But what this represented was this is how a general who had been out fighting a war and had been victorious would be treated as he came back into town. The people would gather, they'd lay palm trees, they, they, or palm branches, they would lay their cloaks. And the point was like, you, you are too awesome and too respected to be walking upon the dirt. You need to rise above that. You are above that force. And so this is a very beautiful thing that the people are trying to do. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's so interesting that again, within this story, even though this procession represents exactly what it should represent, which is here's the conquering king, right? Here's the king coming that is going to wipe death from the face of the earth and who is going to bring life. This is exactly how he should be treated. But even within it, what do you see Jesus doing? You see Jesus pointing to the fact that he's a different kind of king. Uh, it reminds me very much if we look back at Jesus' birth. Um, you know, you look at how most royal babies are treated when they're born. Um, especially if you remember, I think, what, six, seven years ago, eight years ago, I don't remember now, I'm getting old. Uh, when uh, was it? Prince William and, and Kate had a baby and the whole world was like just waiting for this event. And there was so much hubbub, there was so much gl and glamour and, and, you know, festivities and wealth spent. Um, and that's, that's typical of how it is when a prince is born, when a king is born. Um, Jesus wasn't born that way, right? Jesus is born in a trough. Jesus is born in a manger. He's surrounded by animals. Uh, Jesus' only witnesses that day are not royalty. There, there's, no, there's no rejoicing throughout the city or throughout the country, right? Who are the only witnesses that day besides his mother and father? These shepherds who come in dirty from the fields and who most of Jewish society would have considered that they, they, they should have been too dirty and stinky to be at something like this. Uh, Jesus is what born in the lowest of lowly places, surrounded by the lowest people of society. Why? Because he was sending a message from the beginning. I'm a different kind of king. Yes, I am king, but I am a different kind of king. I am not a king that comes to take what you have. I am not a king who comes to use you for my wealth and for my power. I am a king who comes who already has all the wealth and power he needs, and I come to give it. I come to give you my love, to give you my power, to give you my peace, to give you my joy. And I don't come just for what the world considers to be the best. I come for everybody. I come for them all. And so just as in his birth, there's this beautiful foreshadowing of the fact that this is a king 
of king, but a king unlike any other king that you've seen. Here you see as he's riding in and being treated like the victorious king, you also still see this little symbol that not like any others. Right? Other kings would have rode in on their white stallion, in their armor, surrounded by their armies, and you would have seen their magnificence and their power that would have come upon you realizing these are kings who are being respected because of their physical might and power and strength. But not Jesus. Jesus rides in on a donkey. And he rides in with his little flock of disciples who carry no weapons, who are not the world's greatest, the most powerful, the most intellectual. They're just common folks. And so even in the midst of this procession, that's one of the closest things we ever see to God, or Jesus being treated like God on earth. There's still a reminder to each and every one of us that he's, his way of fulfilling our expectations is always different than we expect. Yes, he's a king, but not like you've seen before. And yes, he's going to establish a kingdom, but not like you're thinking. His dreams, his plans, his, his vision is much bigger than our own. And in fact, part of that is why you're going to see the flip-flop. What these people are celebrating is they think this is the Messiah, and what they think the Messiah is going to come and do is politically and militarily rise up Israel. And that Israel, once again, will be able to push out the foreign enemies. They'll get, be able to push out Rome. They will rise up as a powerful political and military entity, and they will get to reign again. So they have this very tiny view of the kingdom. Jesus doesn't come for that. Jesus comes for a kingdom that stands for eternity. And he doesn't care about military power, and he doesn't care about wealth. He cares about your spirit. He cares about what's happening here. And so it, it's just beautiful to kind of watch all the different things that are happening here. The other thing you see happening here, and, and this is, again, beautiful because it, um, it shows the hunger of the people, but how they didn't even understand really what they needed. When they're crying out Hosanna, and it ties back to that Zechariah 9.9, what you're really seeing them say is, is that word means save now. Save now. And so you, you have, as Jesus is riding in, you have all these people treating him as a king and all these people screaming out, Hosanna, save me, save me now, save me now, save me now. And again, what's beautiful is their words and their actions perfectly align to what he deserves and what he's there to do. He is the king. He is the conqueror. He is the one that vanquishes death. He is the one that brings life. He is the one that can restore you. And he is the one that can save you. So, so in one way, all these actions are so perfect. They're so unbelievably perfect. But in another way, there's just this slight bitterness because the people don't fully get it. Right? They're treating him as a king and they're saying, save now. But what they want is that military king. What they want is salvation, not from their sin, which will ultimately bring them death. And that every single day of their lives breaks them down. And every single of the days of their lives just eats at who they are. No, they want to be saved from the taxes. They want to be saved from the Roman authority. They want to be saved from the earthly things that are around them. And so I think, brothers and sisters, another beautiful thing that we start to do on Palm Sunday, not that it should only be this week, but this is a beautiful week where so much of it, so many of the things on the calendar, so many of the things that occur in Scripture,
are here to remind us of where we should really be focused. What Palm Sunday always reminds me of is this, this constant battle we have of being pulled up from the worldly that we are in all day, every day, and pulling ourselves above those things to see with a spiritual eye, to see with a, a spiritual view of the things we need. Like right now, as we look around this world, we need a cure. We need some kind of treatment. We need better medical equipment. We need, we need something to help this virus go away. We're going to need all kinds of, of not only medical improvements and, and, and medical solutions, but then you're going to look at the ripple effect. And so even once we've got a hold of that, we're going to need all kinds of things to help this world pull out of this economic situation we're in. And it's not just about the money, it's just when people don't have jobs, when, when people don't have a way to bring in income. It has all kinds of ripple effects throughout their lives. And so right now there's a lot of us praying and hoping that, that God will be here to give us a solution to the virus and to the economic trouble and the political troubles and you name it, right? All these, all these troubles. And all those are valid things. All those things are real things. But you know what? There's something even bigger. Something even bigger than the coronavirus. Bigger than economy, bigger than politics, bigger than governments. And that is the fact that the big thing that we need to be saved from is our sin. It's that each and every one of us is a sinner. And each and every one of us, as we remain an unrepentant sinner, we find ourselves on a path towards death and destruction. And the only thing that can save us the only thing that can wipe away that sin and that can restore us and bring us life and a life unlike anything we have ever seen before is Jesus Christ. The salvation we need is so much bigger than the coronavirus. It's so much bigger than all the worldly things. It is a salvation of the soul. It is a salvation of the spirit. It is a salvation that lasts not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but for eternity. For eternity. That's what we need salvation from. And so just like these people who are laying these palm branches out and they're crying out, save now, save now, save now. There's part of them that doesn't really get what they're asking. They don't really see what needs to be seen. And so there's this unbelievable beauty, but there's also a little tinge of sadness that they're not capable of seeing what is really there. Now they will. They will, but right now, there's just a little bit they don't get. In Psalm 118, 25, uh, there's this beautiful psalm. And it's one of the last psalms in, in that book that is of praise, uh, of, of just pure joy. And in 118, 25, it says, O Lord, do save. We beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. And how beautiful is that for us right now? I think that prayer, that song could fly from our lips right now. Lord, we need you. We ask you, Lord, save us. We ask you, Lord, to bring prosperity. And we mean prosperity that is bigger than just this worldly things. We mean prosperity of the soul. Lord, we need you. Save us. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. It is something we can cry out today and mean it just as much as these people did back then. And we can mean it with that depth that is bigger than just the things of the world. We can mean it of those eternal things. In Luke 19, 41, 
through 44, we see, right, is it's the same story in Luke. Uh, Palm Sunday is told in all of the Gospels. It, in Luke, though, we get a little bit more depth, and, and you see a little bit of sadness. And, and this is probably hard for you guys to read, but I'll read it for you. Um, Jesus, Jesus is hit with the emotion of both the people rejoicing, but he also has that, that bittersweetness because he realizes they don't fully get it. And so in Luke 19, 41 through 44, it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And so what Jesus is saying is, is, as he looks at Jerusalem, he's crying because though he's there with them, though he's right there with them, and though they're crying out for salvation, and though he is the Messiah, and he is bringing the kingdom, the people's vision of that kingdom is so small and so limited that they, they have this narrow view. And what he's saying here is, you don't get it. Sadly, this whole city will be destroyed. Sadly, this, this thing that you worship, this dream that you have, one day it will be clear to you that it wasn't big enough. It wasn't enough. I think the thing that we've got to ask ourselves as we come to Palm Sunday is we've got to ask ourselves as we worship, as we go through this week, what are we rejoicing what are we celebrating? And are we doing it in the right way? I say this often, but the reality is for many of us, um, in, in especially in America, many people say they're Christians. Um, I, I think the, the stat is still somewhere between 75 to 80% of people pr- profess themselves to be uh, Christians. Um, the problem is, is that we have so many varying degrees of definition of what that means. And just like on this day, where you had hundreds of thousands of people treating Jesus as a king and screaming Hosanna, there's a bittersweetness to that because we also know that in four days, most of those people will be calling for him to be crucified. Right, The same people who on, on, on Sunday, or, or more accurately Monday, meet and greet him and treat him as a king and as a savior and cheer for him with their voices and scream Hosanna. Just a few days later, some of those very same people will be gathered looking at him and screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And what it shows you is, is a lot of us miss, we miss exactly what's right in front of us. We, we see through our eyes, we see what we want to see and we miss the thing that is there. Being a Christian does not mean you like Jesus. Being a Christian does not mean that you enjoy some of the things that he says, that you believe he has some wisdom, that you believe he was a good guy, that you believe he has decent morality. It doesn't mean any of those things. What being a Christian means is that you look at Jesus Christ and you go, that is God. He is perfect. He is flawless. He's God. And He has come to save the broken, like me. He has come to save people who 
whose lives and souls and hearts are broken by their own sin, not by anything else, not by this world, but by their personal sin. The desire within us to rebel, that desire within us to be our own gods, to make our own plans, to build our own legacy, to have our own kingdom, that sin that says, I am the center. And God has come to wipe away that sin. And what being a Christian is, is it means that you have fallen down on your knees and you go, God, I give you, I give you everything I have. All I have and all I am, I give to you. And I know what it is. It it is so worthless. But I give it to you. Because I want to be yours. I want to follow you. I want you to lead. I want you to be the Lord and the master of my life. And what that means is, is I will go where you ask. I will follow where you lead. Because, well, I don't know everything that's happening around me. And I don't have every answer to every question. What I do know is I know who you are. And you are loving and you are just and you are kind and you are good. And you are perfect. And I know that no matter where I am, no matter what I face, if I am with you, it makes it all better. It makes it all better. See, the point of being a Christian is not that I'm here for what Jesus has. I'm here for him. It's not about whether he gives us a kingdom here on earth. It's not about whether he takes away a disease or he makes my bank account flush or if he makes my marriage better or he makes my children better or if he gives me peace. It's about do I have him? I just want him. And if that is what our souls long for, is the intimacy and love that only he can bring, then you and I can sit there and we can cheer Hosanna and mean it in the right way. We can mean it with the desire that God longs for. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, it says, So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Palm Sunday itself is a foreshadowing. It is a foreshadowing of when he comes again. See, brothers and sisters, the hope that you and I have, the trust that you and I have is this. Well, on that Sunday, people picked and chose if they wanted to come. And on that Sunday, some meant it and some did. There will be a day that is to come where every single one of us will know that he is king. That every single one of us will finally realize that he wasn't just an earthly messiah. He wasn't just a great teacher. Every single one of us we'll look up and every single one of us will realize that is God. And so brothers and sisters, don't wait. Don't wait for that moment. Choose that moment now. Give everything you have and everything you are to God. Lay down your spiritual palm branches and scream to Him, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, Lord. And let us rejoice. Let us rejoice no matter what circumstance we are in because the King is here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much 
for the fact that we live in a generation where even when we face so much uh, pain and hurt and, and distance from each other, Lord, that because of, of technology and, and the things that we've come up with, Lord, that we can still gather. I pray, Lord, that throughout this week that as many, many distractions have been pulled away from us, that, Lord, we will center our hearts on you, that we will bring our hearts and our minds to worship, that we will spend our time in the Word, Lord, that we will spend our time doing what we are meant to do, which is glorifying you, loving you, and loving people. Father, we rejoice today that you are the Lord, you are the King, and we thank you for your Son, Jesus. That you, Father, were willing to sacrifice your one and only Son, who you love so much, to save the likes of us, so that we too could be your children, is a gift unlike any other. And so, Father, while this will be a week both of sadness as we realize the toll of sin, it is also a week of celebration as we see your power, as we see your light amongst the darkness. Father, we love you, we trust you, and we serve you. And in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for all that we're able to join today. Stay safe. Stay strong. Let the Spirit grow during all of this. And don't stop doing the mission. Remember, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He has given you a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And you have a mission, which is to go out into this world and to make disciples. So get to it. Love you all. Praying for you all. God bless. Have a great Easter. We'll see you soon.